All right, if you got your Bibles, uh, we are in the book of 1 Peter. Um, we've been in this will be our, what now, our third week, I think. Uh, we're still in uh, verses 1 through 2. And the title of our lesson today is The Trinity. Uh, the Trinity. Now, why are, we, why are we talking about the Trinity? What, what is it about 1 Peter 1 and 2 that leads us to this subject? Well, let's, let's read it. It says this, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, <clears throat> in the sanctification of the Spirit, and for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with his blood. So right here <clears throat> in this very first two verses of Peter, we are introduced to the Trinity, or what we call the Godhead. We are introduced to the Father, we're introduced to the Spirit, and we're introduced to uh, Jesus Christ, the Son. So you've got these three persons. And by the way, notice it says we are elect or we are chosen according to the Father's work in this area, the Spirit's work in this area, and Jesus' work in this area. So all three, and we'll talk about this near the end, have a part to play or a role to play in our uh, election and in our salvation. So... If we were reading this letter for the first time, we might wonder, okay, well, who are these people? How do they work together? How do they fit together? What is their relationship with, with one another? So here is the, the doctrine of the Trinity, and we'll come back to this later. The doctrine of the Trinity says this, There is only one God made up of three distinct persons who exist in co-equal, co-eternal communion as the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, today, this is going to be a difficult thing for me to do. One of the things as a teacher, I don't care if you're a math teacher or an English teacher, when you teach a subject, you try to teach it in a way that your class is going to understand it, right? The problem is I'm, I'm trying to explain something that's unexplainable. Now, how do you do that, right? That makes it very, very difficult. It is by far one of the most difficult doctrines in the Bible, and that's the doctrine of the Trinity. There's a great quote that you run across when you study the Trinity. It says this, Try to deny it, and you'll lose your soul. Try to understand it, and you'll lose your mind. Uh, the fact is, when we think about the Trinity, we are ultimately trying to grasp something that's beyond our, our grasp. We just have to believe it. We have to trust it because the Bible teaches it, but we really can never understand it. Now, it's mysterious. It's hard to understand Yet we have to study it because it reveals who God is. And that is why it is one of our most uh, important doctrines. Now, the word Trinity is not found anywhere in, in Scripture. Um, it, it's, a, it's a word that's used to encompass all the teachings in the Bible about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and their relationship to one another. So we just put a word over it and we call it the Trinity, but it, it really encompasses five facts about them, uh, as we'll see uh, this morning. Now, the word Trinity basically means three, tri means three, and, and, and unity means one. That's where the word comes from, tri-unity. Uh, for example, 1 John 5, 7 says this, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, or the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. So you've got three persons within the unity of one God. So you get tri-unity or three in one, and that's where we get the word uh, trinity. So again, it's, you're not going to find it in the Bible if you do a search, 
but it's just a, a word that encompasses what the Bible teaches about the Father, Son, Holy Spirit and their relationship to one another. Now, I want to give you a warning this morning before we go in very further. We're going to look at five facts or five truths about God in the Bible. Okay, we're going to take those five facts, those five truths. If you are going to think rightly about God and you're going to speak rightly about God, you have to take all five truths together. You can't throw any of them out. Okay? You've got to be very careful about that because that's where people go, go wrong. In, in fact, the best we can do is, I, I put a little diagram up here. If we look at all the scriptures about God and who He is, at the end of it, we're going to end up with a mystery. That's, that's the very best we can do. Can't, you can't resolve it. It's just a mystery. If you try to resolve the mystery by taking some of those facts out of the Bible, you'll end up with heresy or unorthodox beliefs or non-right beliefs. So again, that's the best you can do. If you look at all the scriptures, you'll end up with a mystery. If you try to resolve that mystery and say, well, let's take these out, you'll end up with what we call heresy or non-orthodox beliefs. So let's, let's begin this morning with just the facts. Let's just look at what does the Bible teach us about the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and, uh, and, and, and just kind of look at those and see how they fit together. So let's start out with the easy one, one that we all agree on, and that is this. Number one, there is one God. Would we all agree on that, I hope? Uh, Old Testament, New Testament, Deuteronomy 4.35 says this, To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord is God, there is no other besides Him. In the New Testament, Romans 3.30 is an example. Since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. So this is a, a very fundamental truth. It's revealed all throughout the Bible, all the way from Genesis to Revelation. i got a bunch of different scriptures. That's, by the way, that's just a few of them. But we don't really need to argue this point because most everybody ag- agrees. So that's fact number one. We're going to look at five. The first one is this. There is one God. By the way, all the major what we would call Abrahamic religions, which would be Christianity, Judaism, and even Islam, believe that. They believe there's one God. And that shouldn't surprise us, by the way. Do you know it tells us even the demons believe that? James 2.19 says, you believe there's one God? Well, you do okay, but he says even the demons believe that. So that's the first fact, but that doesn't get us very far about God because even devils believe that, even Muslims believe that. Jews believe that. Christians, we all believe that there is one God. So let's look at the second fact. The Father is God. Okay? Now again, very clearly taught in Scripture. 2 Corinthians 1.3 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Colossians 3.17, Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So the Father of Jesus Christ is God. And, and once again, there's tons of scriptures here in the New Testament that teach that. I just took out a couple of them. It's, this is not something we really need to belabor the point because most people would agree with these. So these are our two facts so far, very simply, very quickly. There is one God, the Lord. By the way, the Lord means Jehovah. It means Yahweh. Anytime you see the word the Lord or the phrase the Lord, it means Jehovah. It means Yahweh. So there is one God. His his name is Jehovah. His name is Yahweh. The Father of Jesus Christ is this God. He is Jehovah. He is Yahweh. 
Okay, the Bible clearly teaches that. Now, all of the following groups would agree with those two facts. So if you looked up, for example, Jehovah's Witnesses, if you looked at Mormons, they would agree with those. There's one, they would agree with those, uh, with those two facts. Actually, that's not true. I should take Mormons off of there. But some of the other ones there, and we'll look at a few of those at the end here, uh, would agree with us up to this point. The Lord is God, He is one, and He is Father of Jesus Christ. Now, up to this point, we're all kind of walking down the same road. We all kind of agree on those two facts. But where all these groups begin to go in different directions is when you begin to deal with the person of Jesus Christ. Okay, when you hit Jesus, everybody starts to go, boop, all these different directions. So it looking something like this. You know, we, we, I might be talking to a Jehovah's Witnesses, and I say, hey, do you believe in one God? Absolutely. Do you believe the Father is God? Absolutely. What about Jesus? And you'd get to Jesus, and they would all go separate directions. Okay? We'd say, well, we don't believe that about Jesus. Now, all of that, that's true for all of those different groups. Now, why is that? Why is it that we all digress when it comes to the person of Jesus Christ and everybody starts to go in different directions? I want to bring you back to a quote that I, that I used back in our study of Job. And again, it's one of my favorite quotes. I mentioned that to you. A.W. Tozer said this, What comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about you. I love that quote, man. We, you know, we look at all these people and they're making money or they're powerful or they got this and they got that or they're smart and intelligent. And he says the most important thing about you is what you think about God. In the end, all that other stuff goes away and what you think about God is the only thing that counts. Only thing that counts. And I love that. Um, uh-oh, my clicker stopped working. So how you see God is more important than anything else in your theology. Because, see, your beliefs will always track right along with your view of God. Let me give you an example. I believe that God is loving, but I also believe that God is just. God loves us, but He will not sweep our sins under the rug. He can't do that because He's a God of justice. Now, the way God rectifies these two things is in the cross of Christ. Right? He shows his love for us, but that's the way that our sin can be paid for. He's loving and he's just. But what if I only see God as loving? What if I forget about the justice and I say, boy, God is a God of love and, and he just loves us. Let me tell you what's going to happen with your theology. You're going to go wrong. You're going to start believing in universalism. You're going to start believing, well, he loves us so much. He, he's, at the end of the day, he's not going to, he loves me too much to send anybody to hell. He's going to save everybody. It doesn't really matter what I do. Everybody with me? See, your view of God takes you down a road you shouldn't go. On the other hand, if I believe that God is a God of justice and I forget about his love and I just focus on justice, that's going to lead to legalism. All of a sudden, God's this guy. He's watching me, man. He's counting. He's, he's making a list. I got to dot all my I's. I got to cross my T's. I got everybody with me. Now you start walking in legalism and you forget about grace. See, your view of God is so important, right? Now, listen, God knows this. And by the way, Satan knows this. You see, God wants us to see him as magnificent and sovereign and beautiful and great and loving and just and and all of those things, because if, he, if we see him the right way, he knows we'll trust him. We'll see him as worthy of our worship, worthy 
of, of giving our lives to him. By the way, at the same time, Satan wants to denigrate God. God Satan wants you to see God as human-like. He wants you to see him as petty. He wants you to see him as unloving and unjust. Remember what he said to Eve? We went through Genesis here about a year ago. What's the first thing out of his mouth to Eve when God says, don't, don't eat that, and you're going to surely die, and, and, and he comes along. Watch what he does. Don't listen to him. That's not true. He just don't want you to be like him. See, he's trying to make God seem petty and jealous, and he wants God, he, he tries to make God seem, seem like he's like us, right? He tries to denigrate God. Now, here's the thing. Listen to me very closely. The Bible tells us that God is no more clearly seen, no more clearly manifest than in one person. That's Jesus Christ. What did Jesus say? You've seen me, you've seen what? The Father. Colossians 1.15 says he is the image of the invisible God. Lewis brought that up last week. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. If you want to know how God thinks, how God feels, how God acts, look at Jesus. Hebrews 1.3 says this, He who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. He is exactly like God. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. See, that is why Satan will always try to degrade or denigrate Jesus in some way. Because a lesser view of Jesus is always a lesser view of God. Are you with me? He, all, he always focuses on Jesus. He wants Jesus, you, us to see him as less than he is because a lesser view of Jesus is automatically a lesser view of God. Now, let's see what the Bible teaches about Jesus. This is our third fact. Jesus Christ is... God. Now, how do we know this? Well, it teaches this in several different ways, and some of these you've probably never thought about, so I'm going to try to lay out as many of these as I can this morning. The first way it teaches this is just explicitly, and what I mean by that, it just comes right out and says it. For example, John 1, 2, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, by the way, Jehovah's Witnesses changed that verse but that is the right translation. Everybody agrees that is the exact right translation. That is exactly what the Bible says. Romans 9, 5 says this, Of whom are the fathers and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is overall the eternally blessed, what? God. It's talking about Christ. Isaiah 9, 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God. Titus 2.13, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Hebrews 1.8, but to the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever. 2 Peter 1.1, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Christ. Acts 7.59, we all remember this story. They stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying what? Jesus. Calling on God. How was he calling on God? Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Matthew 1.23, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. 
One of my favorites, John 20, 27 through 29, after Jesus has uh, risen from the dead, he appears to the disciples and he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it in my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said, no, Thomas, don't say that. I'm not, it's not what he said, is it? It's not what he said at all. I love what he said, Thomas, because you've seen me, you've believed, but blessed are those who have not seen and still believe. Thomas calls him God, and, and, and Jesus doesn't rebuke him at all because what he said was true. So that's one way, multiple scriptures where he is called God. But there's other ways. For example, Jesus is given names in the New Testament that are only given to God in the Old Testament. For example, the Lord, Jehovah, Yahweh. Joel 2.32 says this. By the way, this is the Old Testament. You'll recognize this, but this is Old Testament. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord Jehovah shall be saved. That's Old Testament. But you get to Romans 10, 9 through 13, it says this. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord Jehovah will be saved saved. When you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, you are calling on the name of the Lord Jehovah. Notice what it says. When you confess with your mouth Jehovah Jesus, Yahweh Jesus, the Lord Jesus, there's no difference here. He's called the first and the last. In the Old Testament, Isaiah 44, 6, thus saith Jehovah, the King of Israel and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me there is no God. But when you get to Revelation, Jesus himself says this, Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. What? The first and the last. God said that's who he was. Jesus said, I'm the same. He's called Lord of Lords in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 10, 17. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bride. But in the New Testament, Jesus is called the same thing. They will make war on the Lamb, Revelation 17, 14, and the Lamb will conquer them for what? He is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those who are with Him are called and chosen and faithful. He's called Savior in the Old Testament. God, Isaiah 43, 10 through 11, You are my witnesses, says Jehovah, and my servant whom I have chosen that you may know and believe me and understand that I am He. Before me there was no God formed, nor shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. But when you get to Luke 2.11, it says this, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ Jehovah, who is Christ the Lord. He's called rock in the Old Testament. Isaiah 44, 8. Do not fear, do not be afraid. Have I not told you from that time and declared it? You are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? Indeed, there is no other rock. I know not one. 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 14. Paul writes this. Moreover, brethren, I don't want you to be unaware that all of our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and they all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. God said, I'm the rock. No, there is no other rock. Paul says, Christ is the rock. 
And of course, the great statement in the Bible, I am. We all know the story when, when uh, Moses has to go to the people and lead them out of Egypt, and he asks God, who, who do I tell them sent me? And God replies to Moses, I am who I am. Say to this people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God said, tell them that's my name. I am who I am. I am. And of course, in John chapter 8, the Jews say to Jesus, you are not yet 50 years old and you've seen Abraham. And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you before Abraham was, I am. And what did they do in, in response? They picked up stones to kill him. But he hid himself and went out of the temple. Two chapters later, they try to stone him again. John 10, 31 to 33. And Jesus said to them, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews said, it's not for a good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you being a man make yourself to be God. Let me tell you, let me go back to that. I've heard people look at this statement, before Abraham was, I am. And they'll say, that, well, that's not really what Jesus meant. He's not calling himself God. Listen, you got to be really careful. If I went back to the 1920s and I said he's gay, what would that mean in the 20s? He's happy. If I say it today, it means something totally different. If I read a book in the 1920s and it says he's gay, how do I interpret it? You interpret it the way what it meant in the 1920s, right? If you're going to interpret when Jesus says, I am, you interpret how the, how, what did the people think back then? Well, it tells you what they think. You, you're making yourself out. They, they understood exactly what he meant. You're saying that you're God, and they took up stones to kill him for blasphemy. So not only is he called God explicitly, not only does he use the names of God and is called the names of God that's only used in the Old Testament, Jesus receives things and does things and is things that are reserved only for God. For example, worship. Exodus 34, 14 says this, For you shall worship no other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. But in Hebrew 1, Hebrews 1, 6, it says this, But when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all the angels of God worship him. You can only worship God, but God says, Let the angels worship him. He's the creator, Genesis 1, 1. In the beginning, who created the heavens and the earth? God did. But in John 1, 3, it says this, All things were made through him, talking about Jesus, and without him was not anything made that was made. The Old Testament says God created the heavens and the earth. The New Testament says Jesus made it all. He forgives sin, Mark 2, 5 through 7, when Jesus saw their faith. You remember the story of the friends let the man down through the, through the roof and the paralytic man? And it says this, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. And some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? That is blasphemy for who can forgive sins but God. And they're right. Only God can forgive sins. Not a man, not a prophet, not, not anything like that. He has to be God to be able to, to do that. He is eternal. Isaiah 9, 6, this is, a, this is a key part now because a lot of religions will say Jesus is created. But that's not what the Bible says. Isaiah 9, 6, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father. Eternal Father. Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and what? 
forever. But the big key one is this, Hebrews 7, 8. He's without father. He's without mother. He's without genealogy. He has neither beginning of days nor end of life. But made like the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. No beginning of days, no mother, no father, no beginning, no end. He's eternal. He's always been there. He's always existed. Listen, we could go, literally, I could go on and on and on. He receives honor. He receives prayer. He receives reverence. He receives faith. He's sovereign over nature. He raises the dead. He judges the world. He's self-existent, unchangeable, eternal, omniscient, all-knowing, all-powerful, and sinless. Everything in the Bible teaches us clearly that Jesus Christ is God. That's why Paul writes in Philippians 2.6, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. The same as God. He is God. So these are our three facts. And now you can see why it's getting more complicated, right? Fact number one, there is only one God, Jehovah. Fact number two, the Father of Jesus Christ is God, Jehovah, Yahweh. And then it teaches us the Son, Jesus Christ, is also God, the Lord, or Jehovah, or Yahweh. Number four, the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is, is equated with God in the Bible. Acts chapter 5, 3 through 4, we all know the story. Uh, they're stoning Stephen. Stephen preaches and they pick up stones and they begin to throw at him and, and, and they're going to kill him. Actually, let me back up. I got the different story. Peter said, sorry about that. Y'all looking at me like I'm crazy. I'm like, why are they looking at me like, oh, it's the wrong story. We all know this story, right? After the church is, is uh, first birthed and, and a lot of people were selling their homes and selling lands and things and bringing the money to the church. And uh, Ananias and Sapphira sold some land and they came in and they lied about it. They kept back some of the money for themselves. And Peter said, Ananias... Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of land for yourself? You have not lied to men, but you've lied to who? You lied to the Holy Spirit, you lied to God. Because they're the same. 1 Corinthians three seventeen through 18. Now the Lord is the Spirit, not a Spirit. The Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom the holy spirit has the attributes of god he is eternal hebrews 9 14 how much more shall the blood of christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to god cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living god he is omnipresent peter uh, psalms david says this where can i go from your spirit where can i flee from your presence in other words wherever i go your spirit's there you're everywhere he's omniscient he's all-knowing 1 Corinthians 2, 10-11, But God has revealed them to us through His Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of man except the Spirit of man which is in him, even so no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is involved in all the works of God. He's involved in creation. You remember uh, the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the waters. He's involved in the incarnation. He's involved in the resurrection. He's involved in our salvation so these are the four facts that we've seen so far there is one god the lord the father of jesus christ is god the lord the son jesus christ is god the lord and the holy spirit is god the lord now we got one more fact and that is this they are distinct persons okay they are distinct or separate 
persons. Scripture teaches us clearly that each of them is distinct from the other two. In other words, they are three persons. By the way, I'm just going to show you a few, but there are multitudes of these. Matthew 28, 19, Jesus said this, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. By the way, he doesn't say in the names of God, the Father and the Holy Spirit and the Son. He says in the name, three persons, one name, Jehovah, God. John 8, 16 through 18, Jesus said, now this is so important. I want you to listen to what Jesus says. Jesus said this, Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father bears witness about me. Now watch what Jesus is doing. Jesus is saying, your law says two people have to bear witness about something for it to be true, right? So he says, I bear witness, and the Father bears witness about me. In other words, he is literally using the testimony of the Father to validate who he is. He said, there's two of us according to your law. I mean, that's, that's so important because he's using that separateness to validate that I am the Messiah. John 15, 26, here's all three of them. But when the Helper, the Holy Spirit, comes, whom I will send to you from the Father. So there's all three of them. I'm going to go to the Father and I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you. All three there in, in one verse. Matthew three sixteen to 17, the baptism of Jesus. Again, we see all three. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. One, one event, all three are present at the same time. All three. Jesus comes up out of the water, the, the, the Spirit descends like a dove, and the voice of the Father says, This is my Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hebrews 9.14, again it mentions all three. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit, offered himself without blemish to God the Father? Ephesians 2.18, For through him, Jesus, we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. Separate, 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 over and over again. There is one God, the Lord. These are our five facts that the Bible teaches us. Now, there's one God, the Lord. The Father of Jesus Christ is God, the Lord. The Son, Jesus Christ, is God, the Lord. The Holy Spirit is God, the Lord. And the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are each distinct from the other two. This is where we get the doctrine of the Trinity. There is only one God. But it is made, he is made up of three distinct persons who exist in co-equal, co-eternal communion as the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, let's talk a little bit about deviations from the doctrine. By the way, that is what Christianity, Orthodox Christianity, has believed for many, many, many centuries. That is what we believe in this church, okay? There are organizations, and there's a lot of them. I'm going to give you three. I'm just going to pick three because they show different ways that people deviate from the doctrine. The first one is Mormons. Mormons are what are called polytheists. They, they worship multiple gods. You've got to be very careful with Mormons. They are super tricky, super tricky. <laughs> because they will say, yes, we believe in, in the Father is God, and we believe that Jesus is God, and we believe the Holy Spirit is, is God. But what they believe is they're three separate gods. 
See, they will tell you Jesus is God, but if you deep, dig deep down, they believe Jesus is a created being. In fact, they believe he's Michael the archangel. You see, Mormons believe that any man, not women, but any man, if you live the perfect life and you wear the right underwear and you're baptized and married in the temple, you can become a god. Did you know that? See, Jesus was born a man, but he, he lived the right life and he actually became a god just like anybody else in the Mormon religion can become gods. They are polytheists. They don't believe in one God. They believe in many, many, many gods. They, they believe every Mormon, if he does everything right, can become God of their own planet. See, the fact is, if you look at our five facts, right at the very top, you cross off the Mormons. They do not believe in one God. They would agree with you, yes, the Father is God. Yes, Jesus is God. Yes, the Holy Spirit is God. Yes, they are separate, but they don't believe in one God. And don't let them ever tell you that because that's not what they believe. So you see what I'm saying? If you take all five facts, you end up with a mystery. If you try to resolve it, you start throwing them out. Everybody with me? And you end up in some bad areas. Let me give you another one, Jehovah's Witnesses. Jehovah's Witnesses are, believe in monotheism. Mono means one, theism, of course, means God. They believe in one God, and they would affirm that. They do not believe that Jesus is God. They don't believe that. They will teach you their, their belief is that Jesus was created by God. He's not co-equal with God. He's not coexistent with God. They don't, they don't believe that. So again, if you looked at their facts, they, believe, they would say, yes, there's one God. Yes, the Father is God, but Jesus Christ is not God. The Holy Spirit is not God. They do not, they do not believe those two facts at all. Okay? Now, what they will tell you... By the way, do you remember all the verses I gave you that said Jesus was eternal? Without beginning of days, no, no mother, no father, no end. He's eternal, right? So where do they get this from? Well, they get it, unfortunately, from one of our favorite verses, John three sixteen: For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Now, by the way, if you've got a King James Version, that, that is in there. But if you go to uh, ESV, they don't use that word because that word tends to be misleading. See, Jehovah's Witnesses catch on to that word begotten. And they try to say, say, wait, look, 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 look. Jesus Christ isn't God. He's a, he's a created being. What they fail to realize, again, is this was written in Greek, not English. King James Version is an English translation. The original word is monogenes. He is the monogenes, son of God. Monogenes means pertaining to being the only one of its kind or its class or unique in its kind. See, John is using the word to highlight that he is a son of God he, that uniquely shares the divine. Listen, I am a son of God. I have been adopted into the family, yes? I am a son of God. I do not share his bloodline. I do not share his nature. I'm adopted. Jesus is not adopted. He is begotten. In other words, he shares the nature. He is God. So what he's saying, he's doing it in a way as opposed to believers who are adopted into the family. Jesus is a part of the family. He's a part of the, of the Trinity. He so it's a, it's a different type of son but it doesn't mean at all that he was born or he was created or anything like that. And by the way, there's, there's, there's numerous other examples of that. For example, there are places in the New Testament where he calls him firstborn. But if you go back and look, by the way, in the Old Testament, did you know David is called the firstborn of God? 
It doesn't mean, by the way, David wasn't even the firstborn in his own family. He was what, seventh or eighth son of Jesse? What he's saying, it's first in preeminence, first in sovereignty, first of its kind. That's what he's talking about, Jesus. He's first in his preeminence. He's first in sovereignty. He's king of kings. There's nobody else like that. It's not talking about being created or, or being born. And by the way, you can't just throw out all the ones that says he's eternal. Okay? The last one is a little bit trickier one. I want to bring this one up. These are, there's a group out there called Oneness Pentecostals. Okay? And I, and I bring them up. By the way, I could bring up Armstrongism and Scientology and, and Unitarian Universalist, and I could go on down the line. Everybody's got different beliefs about the Trinity. But they all do something along the same lines, and that is they have to throw out one of the facts. You have to throw out one of the facts. One is Pentecostals or monotheists. They exist, and, and, and this is what they would say. There's only one God, and they would affirm with you and I the deity of Jesus and the deity of the Holy Spirit. So they would say, yes, there's one God, the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. But yet they deny the Trinity the way that we believe it. Now, how can that be? Because they teach that God is a single person who basically manifests himself in different forms. In other words, he is one God who puts on a mask. When he wants to appear as the Father, he appears as the Father. When he wants to appear as the Son, he appears as the Son. If he wants to appear as the Holy Spirit, he appears as the Holy Spirit. In fact, they would say, I believe, that he appeared as Father in the Old Testament. He appeared as Jesus while Christ was here on earth. And he would appear as the Holy Spirit after the ascension of Jesus. So they believe one God. They believe Jesus and the Holy Spirit, but they do not believe that they are separate people. They don't believe they're separate persons. They just say it's one God who just appears or manifests. Now, what's the problem with that? The problem is what do you do with all those scriptures, and I mean dozens of scriptures, where there's interaction between the Godhead? What do you do on the day of the baptism when it says the Holy Spirit came from heaven and the voice said, this is my son? Are you telling me that's one God and he's jumping over here? It's my son. No, I'm over here. That's not only not only is that crazy. Listen, that's deceptive. That's deceptive. If Jesus is doing that, if God is doing that, he's he's deceiving us. He's lying. Jesus said, I've come from the father. That would be a lie. That can't be true. John 14, 16, Jesus said this, I will pray to the Father and he will send the Comforter. He's saying, I'm going to ask the Father to send the Comforter. And they're one, that makes no sense to me. So you literally have to take all those and just in your mind, it's, it's just one person say, I, I, I just can't go there. I just can't go there. There's too many scriptures that teach that he is separate people. So let's go back to our little diagram. If we take all the scriptures and we find our five facts, guess what we end up with? A mystery. <laughs> because I don't get it. I'll never get it. By the way, every, every sermon, every lesson I've ever heard on the Trinity, they always try to use an analogy. Right? If they always try to use an analogy, analogy of ice, right? You've heard that one. It's, it's, it can be water. It can be vapor. It can be, you know, all... I don't even go there because none of, they all fall short. They all fall, they don't, none of them help me. It, it's a mystery, but yet the Bible teaches clearly to me those five facts. Therefore, I believe it. 
I just believe what it teaches. I don't get it. I, I'm going to end up with a mystery. Because if I try to resolve the mystery, I've got to take those, one of those out. There's not one God. No, Jesus is not God. No, they're not. I, I can't do that. Because there's too many scriptures in the Bible that teach that. Very quickly as we close, i got just about three minutes. One of the places that the Trinity shines most brightly in the Bible is in the work of election and the work of salvation. There are several scriptures in the Bible that show this. And the reason I bring this up is because one of them is 1 Peter 1, uh, 1 and 2. Peter says we are elect, we are chosen... To what? How are we chosen? He says, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. In other words, God made a de- the Father made a decision before the foundation of the world. He says, in the sanctification of the Spirit, the Spirit came along when you were 11 years old or 20 years old or 7 years old or 65 years old, and He re- regenerated you. He sanctified you. He set you apart. And He says that the whole purpose of this is for obedience to Jesus Christ so that we would obey the Son. See, there's the work of the three in salvation. By the way, there's numerous scriptures. I'm going to give you one more. Galatians 4, 4 through 6. But when the fullness of time had come, God, talking about the Father, sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoptions as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into your heart, crying, Abba, Father. The God, God the Father initiates it, the Son accomplish it, accomplishes it, the Spirit applies it. Lewis Pollard said that last Sunday. I don't know if y'all remember that. I went to him and said, let me write that down because that's, a, that's one of the best explanations I've heard. The God the Father initiates it before time began. The Son comes and dies on a cross and He accomplishes what the Father has initiated. And then the Holy Spirit comes into your life and my life and He applies that to our spirit. He applies that inside of us so that we can now call him Father. We are adopted into his family. By the way, there's numerous other scriptures. I knew I was going to run out of time because I had too much stuff. But you can see our election and salvation is initiated by the Father. There's some scriptures there, accomplished by the Son and applied by the Spirit. One final thought before we close. As I said at the beginning... This is a difficult doctrine to understand. And at the end, it's always going to be a mystery. Even so, we need to study it. We need to think about it. Or else you're going to end up in confusion about who God is. Okay? If we're going to speak rightly about God and think rightly about God, we need to understand what the Scripture says about Him, that He is a triune God. And we do all that study, and we come up and think, man, it's going to blow my mind. <laughs> You know, I just, I just can't grasp it. It's always going to be a mystery. Here's the thing, and maybe this will help you. In the end, understanding the doctrine of the Trinity is not really the point. The point is to worship the triune God. That's the point. May not, may not get it up here, but I believe it down here. And I worship Him as a triune God. That's the point, not understanding. All right, next week we finally get past verse 2. Yes, thank you very much, Derek. Um, we finally get to verse 3, and we will look at your best life later. Not your best life now, but your best life later. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, I know as, as human beings, we just do our best through the help of the Holy Spirit to, uh, to believe what your word says. And sometimes that is difficult uh, because it goes against who we are. Uh, goes against our flesh, but sometimes it's difficult because we just we want to understand. 
There's always going to be things about you, the, the immortal, invisible, eternal God. How in the world could we ever fathom you? Your ways are higher than our ways. That, it, it, we, we're never going to get there. I ask you, Father, through the Holy Spirit, just to settle in our hearts and settle in our minds, even though we don't get it, that who you are is the triune God and that we worship you because of that. We are able to speak rightly about you and we are able to think rightly about you because of the work your spirit will do. We ask all that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all.